0: Greetings, greetings, greetings. Today's episode is going to be a melanated movie episode. There will be a series of these, six to be exact, because that's the number of episodes in the Shonda Rhymes series about Queen Charlotte. I happen to live in the city named after Queen Charlotte. I don't know if there's more than one, but I, knew, I do know that The city I'm living in, which is Charlotte, North Carolina, is named after that particular queen. And I live in Mecklenburg County. I didn't realize Mecklenburg was a German word until I watched this series. And I'm smiling as I'm recording this because it's such a nod to the Moors. Who are the Moors? If you dig, dig, dig deep, you'll find out who they are. But much like history that has been, much of history that has been whitewashed to seem like everything was only white, the Moors were black people from the continent of Africa. When humanity began, Africa was all black. The indigenous people of Africa... Every single person on the continent before contact with anyone else was all black. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is because when you visit the United States website for the census, .census www.census.gov, they do not acknowledge, not only do they not acknowledge black people as the original People of the continent of Africa. They don't even recognize brown people, Arabic people, as part of North Africa because they did invade at some point. When you go to the www.census.gov website, white people are defined as any of the original peoples of Europe, the Middle East, And North Africa. There is no section for Arabic people. Black people are not defined as the original people of any land. So there is a clear, to those who can see it, clear whitewashing of specifically black history. The Moors were from Morocco. The Moors ruled what is now known as Spain and Portugal for 800 years, longer than the existence of the United States. The United States been around for quite a few hundred years, but not longer than the Moors ruled that part of Europe. The Moors brought architecture, mathematics, science, arts, all kinds of stuff, and they traded with those that they came in contact with on the colder side of the world. See, the Moors, brown people, black people, come from the warm sides of the world, and they had plenty. There was abundance where black people lived. They didn't need to compete. They would trade. You have that, I have this, let's trade together you know, but when they went to trade with the colder regions, Europe, they found people who needed to compete, needed to be the ones on the top, needed to be the only, everything's a competition, everything's a war, I must conquer and demolish you, so they traded with the Europeans, Europeans saw what they had, trade turned into competition and war, and eventually, not just overnight, it took a long time, but eventually, Rome did come into North Africa after Africa was already established. Africa already had everything that it had. Rome just came and stole. And then the Greeks came and got that from the Romans, and then they whitewashed everything else. But anyway, the Moors ruled. Europe and when they left they left um, a portion of I believe the Portugal Portuguese royal house there's a black family, there are black families in the Portuguese house and they're Moorish so when you hear somebody speak of Moorish blood that's what they're speaking of people who are of African descent and The Queen Charlotte series is a lovely nod to the Moors. Let's get into it. So the episode starts out with Queen Charlotte walking through the beautiful halls of her palace home and she comes upon her brother in a room speaking with the recent visitors from Britain. And she listens in and she sees him signing some kind of document that ultimately signs her over to become the new wife to King George of England. And she is not at all happy about it and she turns around and smashes the very first statue that she sees. As I said before this series is definitely a nod to the Moors, an acknowledgement of the real Queen Charlotte's Moorish blood which has been downplayed by some and outrightly denied by others and when the the deniers are forced to acknowledge that the truth of her partial Moorish heritage, they always try to say it's not a big deal. So if not if it's not a big deal that Queen Charlotte was of Moorish descent, partially so, then why lie about it? Why hide it? She's not white. She's not. And she's the first person of Moorish descent to marry into the British royal lineage. I love that she grew up in relative freedom. She was very, very cared for, allowed to grow into the intellectual woman that she clearly is, extremely confident, beautiful, loving, nurturing, but she's still a woman who lived in a patriarchal society that said, to further their bloodline, to forge an alliance with the nearby country of britain who were stronger than that small providence they lived in in germany because britain was going out into other areas and conquering and colonizing and building their empire based off of servitude people serving the idea of the British Kingdom, and so he signed over his sister to be a part of serving the British Kingdom. It was it was rough for her, um, and she was questioning it all the way. Like, why out of everybody they could have chosen, why did they come seeking me? She told her brother as they rode to Britain. In their carriage, in their royal carriage, you know it's a problem. Why do you think they came and chose me? It's not, and he's trying to tell her, oh, it's because you're special, you're chosen, it's an honor. And she's telling him, it's not an honor. I check all the boxes. I check the fact that I'm a young woman, I'm fertile, which means I can probably, you know, give them a lot of babies or whatever. But, um, and also that she was raised in you know, royalty, so she knows all of the royal graces and all of that. But other than that, there's a reason why they came all the way across the continent to get her. So he gets frustrated and tells her to shut up, stop questioning it. And he speaks about how their parents died and he was left in charge. And because he was left in charge, he gave her too much freedom in his eyes. He gave her too much freedom because she was very, very, what did he call her? Exceedingly headstrong. And obviously that's not something that he's finding beneficial. And I know he hopes that she kind of quiets it down when she gets to um, the British, the royal palace. And she still, she doesn't though, like it gets quieter because after he tells her to shut up, He, you know, kind of takes her hands because they love each other. They're very close. You can tell they're very close. And she's still asking him why, though. And he says, because they are the British Empire. And although they are indeed royalty as well, they are just that tiny province in the neighboring country of Germany. He felt like he had no other choice but to sign the business deal and sign his sister, over to the King of England and he knows that there is probably not a good reason that they requested his sister because they're aware of their Moorish descent they don't they live wonderful lives but they're also aware that the British monarchy has never requested or wanted to be married to anyone of Morris' descent before. So he knows that something is, is off with the fact that they came looking for her. And she's like trying to, she loves her brother. So she's listening to him. And he tells her there are worse fates than marrying the King of England. But it looks just so stiff, so painfully fake and miserable, and lonely, surrounded by servants that are all serving, everybody serving this image, this idea that the kingdom of England is it, is perfect. Looking perfect, quote-unquote perfect on the outside, and confusing and miserable on the inside. Sounds like a fate worse than death, but the ride continues, and they make their way to meet and essentially marry the um, king of England on the same day. And in history books, not outside of this series, the historical accounts say that they indeed, Queen Charlotte and King George III, did actually marry on the very same day they met. So what is the reason? Like, why did they go all the way from England to Germany instead of the usual marriage uh, process for a king such as King George III? We will find out. The scene moves forward in time. To elder Queen Charlotte, marching through the halls of her palace on a very dark, very cold, snowy, wintry night. Her staff are following on her heels. Her every move is lit by candlelight that they hold for her. And she's marching toward the front door about to welcome a visitor. Now, if it's the middle of the night, it has to be urgent news. She's in a rush because she believes the news is about her Husband, the death of her husband. She's so short and impatient with everybody. Her words are, she's uptight. Her words are just clipped and just mean. The doctor comes in, falling over himself with apologies for disturbing her night, but she just tells him to shut up and talk. What an oxymoron, right? Shut up and talk. <laughs> Sums up British ideology quite nicely. Is he dead? So in other words, say what I want to hear. Talk about what I want to talk about. Shut up or anything else. If I don't want to talk about it, it's not to be talked about. So as soon as she learns that the news is not about her husband dying, she's ready to get back to her chambers. But then she pauses herself because he did come in the middle of the night. So if the news is not about her dead husband, the king then who is the news about? So then we see the printing presses printing up the latest Lady Whistledown newsletter, sharing the news of the death of one of the royal family. It's the daughter, granddaughter, of the king and Queen Charlotte. And she died while giving birth. And the baby died as well. So Queen Charlotte is struggling very hard to comfort her son patting him on the on the head saying sorrow sorrow prayers but her face is just so detached not just her face her whole body language is just completely detached with just the most annoyed look on her face no time for extra emotion and that's very different like english um from what i see of course i'm not british but from what I see it's very restrained and reserved as if having emotion is a bad thing, showing emotion, even in the state of grief. Mind you, her son is, is crying his eyes out into the um into a handkerchief, but she could could couldn't be bothered with it. And she just like, sorrow, sorrow, prayers. Um it's actually kinda of funny and sad at the same time. And then we see the ladies, um, the royal court, receiving their letters and reading it and having their own contemplative thoughts about what this may mean for the monarchy. The crown, the quote-unquote crown, was in a crisis. Who would be the next heir? The crown, with all its stolen jewels encrusted into it, was in crisis. And Queen Charlotte is the one facing the task of producing an heir for the throne. And although she gave birth to 15 children and 13 of them are still alive, they still don't have a legitimate heir to the throne. Now she is notorious at matchmaking for all the others in the Royal court, but she has not been successful when it comes to her very own children. Her sons actually have many children but none from a royal matchup like her own, none approved by the policies, procedures, rules, and regulations of the image that fits what the palace would like it to fit. And the image must be maintained at all costs. So she um, begins to press her children hard, for a proper proper royal marriage and birth. Her own marriage was just weird. (laughs) It was just weird. And she reflects on that as she walks down the halls. She's about to go meet with her children and tell them, look, y'all have to produce an heir. There's 13 of y'all. Somebody can produce an heir. But as she's walking to meet with her children, she's looking at the pictures on the wall First it was her and her husband, then her and her husband and their first few children, and then ultimately the picture with all 15 children at some point. And she um, just reflects for a moment. This is where the writers allow us to see a bit of nostalgic, nostalgic emotions, I would say, about marriage and her life probably overall. She's in these large cold halls. They're cold and they're gray and they're lonely. There's nobody there but her and the servants. How miserable is that? But she is the queen, bitter and mean as she is. The scene then flashes back to her much younger self, back to the day she arrived in London trying to find out about the man she was about to marry but no one would fill her in properly. Her brother requested her to be her most agreeable self when she's first meeting the king's mother. All those servants, it's just striking. Every The whole time I'm watching this series, it's like hundreds of people who give their lives every single day for generations to support this image. Mm. Surrounding the spectacle of Charlotte being examined, these these servants are all around and also the men of the royal court all around watching the king's mother examine Charlotte. Not unlike other African women in different settings being examined to see, you know, what they bring to the colonizer. So she's examining charlotte's teeth she examines her hands she comments on the size of her hips because according to the king's mother charlotte's job is to bear king george as many children as possible and again that reminds me of chattel slavery that was literally occurring in real life at the very same time time that the real King George III and Charlotte were being wed. They were married on September 8th, 1761 and chattel slavery was in full swing. The king's mother went so far like after the examination, she licked her finger and wiped at... Charlotte's face and started commenting on the brownness of her skin. Started really noticing. I guess she thought maybe that was makeup. I don't know. But she dismissed Charlotte and told her to um go told Brimsley to go and take her to get um measured for her dress. Charlotte's look of disgust was very very obvious, but She held her ground. She didn't like, you know, she kept it like she was raised. She was raised with royalty to be reserved, not to show how she truly feels about a thing. Even if it shows a little bit on her face or even if she's being sarcastic or passive aggressive in her communication. So they started talking about the wedding gown because the king's mother was telling her that she needed to go get fitted. Charlotte was letting her know that she came with her very own gown and Charlotte was naming off like, you know, how prestigious this gown was. And the queen let her know, not the queen, the king's mother let her know that she decides, or rather we, the royal court, decides as well as defines every aspect, every inch of Charlotte's life now, including what will be worn. She told her that the traditional English gown is better because it is simple. No fuss, no frills. In their fashion for their family. Her exact words were, in our fashion for our family. It was interesting how she spoke of Charlotte's clothes as European. Because at that time, the king's mother, the king and his mother in the royal court were only king and queen and royalty over England, Ireland, and those countries that had been colonized at that time. So Germany was, its, Germany was its own kingdom, Spain, Portugal, all of that, the rest of Europe, France. They had their separate kingdoms until they came together and as a European Union and divided up the colonies, split up. The colonies the way they did but that's another story for another time so charlotte was agreeable as her brother had asked her to be and she left with brimsley following her every step literally brimsley was like five paces behind her all the time so she turned around and asked brimsley about the king like what what is he like And Brimsley lets her know he's been the king for about a year after his grandfather died. And he's the king of Great Britain, Ireland, and the colonies since his grandfather died. And she was like, okay, but Brimsley didn't tell her anything personal, like his likes, his dislikes, his personality. But that's all Brimsley had for her. Meanwhile, the king's mother, after dismissing Brimsley and Charlotte, is discussing Charlotte's very brown skin with the contractor who brokered the business deal of getting King George III married to Charlotte. Uh, The king's mother's not happy with the fact that Queen Charlotte is noticeably brown. She admonishes the um, deal broker for not telling her that she would be that brown. And he reminds her that he did let her know she had more blood in her. Charlotte was biracial. And when it comes to biracial people, you are never guaranteed a certain skin tone or hair texture or eye color. Because it's a mixture. And genetics gets to decide. So the thing is, the royal court had other choices that they could have definitely chosen all white, uh, different kings and queens that didn't have any Moorish blood, they knew she had Moorish blood and they chose her, they came looking for her specifically. Um, so they got their wish, and their tight, pale faces sat there and po- pondered the brown skin that came. <laughs> along with the woman that they chose for King George the Third, It was five men and one woman pondering what they could, what that, what that brown skin could mean for the quote-unquote crown. Uh, I believe his name was Brute, Lord Brute, Lord Bute, something like that. He thought it was a problem, and he was worried about people talking. The king's mother agreed that it was a problem and that people would definitely talk. They considered canceling the trade deals that were made in exchange for Charlotte to become their queen. Trade deals is always about expanding the British power and control over every item, every aspect of everybody's life. But the queen um, had brown skin. My goodness, this was occurring on the day of the marriage the desperation, the urgency, canceling the royal marriage would, would cause more talk, either which way there was going to be talk. So the, the king's mother took a stand and she said, look, we're the palace. We determine what is a problem and what is not a problem. The king is the sovereign head of the Church of England. He's the ruler of the land and nothing that he does could ever be a problem. So by positioning it as the king's choice, they chose to move forward with the wedding plans. And what they did was they added an expanded invitee list to the wedding. By adding to Charlotte's court, they would make it look like it was a balance, like the king's choice, like he was moving in a different direction on purpose. All of this was by intention. She wasn't just brown by mistake, and they didn't. She want, the king's mother wanted to make it look like this was definitely on purpose, and we're moving in a new, more uh, liberal <laughs> direction. So they were um, all on board with that. It had to look like the king was being more inclusive, knowing that some people would give anything to be included because they were like, the wedding is in six hours. But the queen knew that the people that had been excluded all these years, imagine now after being excluded after all this time, you get an invitation to the royal wedding. She knew people would say yes. She knew they wouldn't say no. The power and control is very intense and intentional. So keeping people locked out and then letting them in when you feel like it. Yeah, they're like, oh, they let me in. Oh, they let me in. So with less than six hours to the wedding, they embarked on an invitation campaign, inviting all the non-white people who were usually excluded, and they get to be at the wedding. So now we see young Mrs. Danbury, prior to her wedding invitation, having very, very, very boring sex with her much older husband, actually he's having sex, she's just passing time, not feeling a damn thing other than obligation. He's literally the only black man that I can think of in the series who is not of quote unquote mixed heritage. And he's the only black man that actually has a significant, um, that has significant speaking lines. And he is thoroughly, and I mean thoroughly obsessed with being included with whatever the white people of England are doing. He's a bit of a silly character with no strength, no pride about himself. And one has to wonder how he even attained his position because he doesn't have the strength of character that his wife has. And I think it came from just his birth. I think his father had a a better strength of character and she was raised to be his wife, but that comes later on in the series. So he informs her after the sexual act, he informs her she can take a nap. And then um, after her nap, she um, will wake up to a surprise. And then he goes ahead and he takes out his teeth and he falls asleep. Ew as soon as mr danbury starts snoring she is out (laughs) her maid is waiting in the hallway and lets her know that her bath is ready and waiting mrs danbury is pissed that her maid didn't even warn her that he was on his way the way she usually does the maid told her she couldn't because she didn't have a warning herself she said he was being spontaneous due to the surprise that got him all excited. So Mrs. Danbury is like, what's the surprise? Well, it turns out that it was a letter from the palace inviting them to the royal wedding. Mrs. Danbury is like, she finds that very hard to believe because, and these are her words, our side and their side do not mix She told the maid that she had to be mistaken. And the maid informs her that she and Mr. Danbury, as well as others like her, have indeed been invited to the royal wedding. So Mrs. Danbury is so very thoroughly confused. And even more so when her maid informs her, she is to attend to the new queen as part of her royal court. So she stops her bath in mid she stops her bath short she has to get out of the bath and she needs to see this letter because this can't be real life meanwhile charlotte is asking everyone she encounters for information about her her groom is he handsome is he kind is he funny is he well read is he artistic is he athletic is he ugly? Is he deformed? Is he dull? Is he mentally slow? She's so confident in herself that she knows she can overcome many things. It doesn't matter. Just She just wants to know what she's dealing with. She wants to know what she's facing. And meanwhile, everybody's ignoring her questions. They're just fixing her new um, wedding gown. They're tightening it up and doing all the the embroidery and stuff. Well, not embroidery because it's very, very simple. Very simple gown. Then she continues with the questions. Is he cruel? And she asks the question directly looking into the seamstress's eyes. And the seamstress looks like she really wants to tell her what she wants to tell her about King George. But um, Brimsley catches her eye, which is a warning like... Don't say anything other than something general. And so the seamstress is just like, You will have wonderful children together. So, Queen Charlotte is very thoughtful. She's a thinker. And while she's thinking, she asks Brimsley if he's always with her. I need to use the chamber pot. Are you with me for that too? The answer is that. The answer to that question was Brimsley hastily making everyone withdraw and giving Charlotte her privacy so that she could use the chamber pot. And so while she has a moment of privacy, we see her standing in the full length mirror, looking at herself in the new traditional English wedding gown. Meanwhile, outside the palace, the guests are beginning to arrive in all, all their wonderful, wonderful glamour. Those who have been excluded for the, for the longest time are now being included, and they are fascinated with the palace and the palace grounds. We see Mr. and Mrs. Danbury arriving. Mrs. Danbury is so exquisitely beautiful. Her deep, deep, deep brown skin is offset by her gold and white lace gown. She's looking exceptionally beautiful. Meanwhile, her husband is getting out of the carriage quite clumsily. And he's just, I'm not enjoying the way he's being portrayed. Not at all. And again, he's the only fully black man of note on the screen at all. Um, He lets his wife know that she should behave as if she's royalty and not going about gawking like a peasant. Meanwhile, he's gawking at everything. And so we see Brimsley rushing around the ground. He's looking for something in a frustrated mode and he's trying not to get in the way of the king's mother who is also out and about among the guests. He clearly doesn't want to be seen by the king's mother. So the king's mother is making her way to the side of the guests where, um, the newly invited guests are sitting and she lets, she wants to let them know their specific instructions. You see the newly mixed crowd eyeing each other from across the room and whispering among themselves. And the King's mother gets to Mr. and where Mr. and Mrs. Danbury are sitting. And she makes it a point to acknowledge that Mr. Danbury's father was connected to her son's grandfather, the late king, and she goes even further with the acknowledgement by welcoming Mr. and Mrs. Dansbury to the family occasion as Lord and Lady Dansbury. The newly titled Lord Dansbury is shocked, to say the least, and she continues on letting him know he'll be receiving an official proclamation from the king. Note... If others can define you like that, with a title that you didn't even ask for or work for, they can also redefine you by taking that same title away at their whim. She tells them they are honored to be Lord and Lady Dansbury now. There was absolutely nothing that they did differently to even earn the invitation, there's no different kind of connection. there's no business deals that happen. Where's the trade deals where's the you know the 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 king's court gets to define the whole thing There's no reciprocity in that, so he didn't care. They were including him. he's smiling from ear to ear and um she moves on down the line, going to the next people who are getting there um. Titles on a whim. Lady Smith and Smythe, I believe, were the next um, people down the line. And she's talking about we, it's time that we are all united as a society, right? Mm. I call BS. I call BS. Because meanwhile, she's still stealing resources from all of the people that she's colonized. So where's the, you know, anyway. Poor Brimsley is still wandering around, desperately trying to find the bride that he lost and trying not to be seen by the king's mother while he's trying to do this. So you see him making his way to the king's, the groom's side of things and speaking with one of the king's um, main servants, letting him know he finally said it out loud, the bride is missing. So everyone is waiting patiently for the ceremony to begin and lady danbury catches a glimpse of the bride and she notices that she is also of african descent she lady danbury is very deeply brown skinned and fully african and queen charlotte is a is lighter But you see the hair and you see the features and you see the brownness in her skin. And so that leaves Lady Danbury in a very contemplative mood. Charlotte herself, the runaway bride, is looking for a way out of the impending madness. So she's out in the garden. She's found her way out into the garden. And the garden walls are very, very high. But she's giving escape a try anyway. As she walks about the garden... In her wedding gown, she's greeted by a man offering some type of assistance. And I think it's a nice way to introduce the queen to the king. It's fitting for an on-screen storytelling. She lets him know. She, well, it's just a man to her. She lets him know she's trying to escape the situation because the king may be some kind of beast or a troll. Why does she think that? Because no one will speak about him at all to her. They go back and forth about what he looks like and whether that matters or not. And eventually he reveals that he is the king and not so bad to look at as far as looks go. She literally takes a step back from him as he says, Hello, Charlotte, I am George, which is such a cute line. So she bows and apologizes to him, uh, to his majesty, to which he replies, Not your majesty, just George he chooses to correct himself because yes of course it is your majesty for everyone else but to charlotte it's just george she apologizes again and they begin to get a little familiar with each other now that they have had a chance to meet each other face to face he teases her about being terrible at wall climbing but then he compliments her incomparable beauty the fairy tale beauty and the handsome king are hitting it off and he asks her what she wants to know about him to which she replies everything which is very fair considering they are about to get married in just a few moments He shares that he was born premature and everyone thought he was going to die. He shares his favorite foods, his athletic abilities, the fact that he likes books and art and good conversation. And most of all, he likes science. She is smitten just that fast. Her little cutesy smile shows itself for the first time. And he also shares that he's into science chemistry, physics, botany, astronomy, all things that Moorish intellectuals like those who would have been in her family were very, very well versed in. He shares that he is a farmer as well. He shows her a few of his scars and shares his vulnerability with her. He's just as nervous about their wedding as she is, but he is the king of Great Britain and Ireland and him trying to go over the wall would be too scandalous. So he has to stay. And he promises her that he is neither a troll or a beast. And she's trying her best to believe him. In the middle of this, her brother finally locates her and then notices that she's actually with the king. And he's, um, you know, of course, apologizing for, um, his sister's actions, and the king is being very nice, very, you know, it's up to her. She was trying to climb over the wall, and if she decides to come in there and marry me, it's all up to her. Now, in real life, it was not, she had no choice. Where was she going to go when she got over the wall? But it's nice for the fairy tale portion of, you know, storytelling that people like to, to watch and hear and see. So again, he says this choice is hers and he goes back into the wedding and stands in place and position and waits. She tells her brother, I need to uh, change my clothes. And she comes in with the gown of her choice, not the king's mother's choice. Also, her hair is now changed into a beautiful, beautiful Afro-perfection Oh, my gosh! She looks amazing um but she's nervous, like all of these faces becoming a married woman marrying a king of a land that she doesn't know anything about. She just met him a few minutes ago, so of course she's nervous, and in real life, she was seventeen when she got promised to um, marry King George. He was five years older than her. he was twenty two and at the age of seventeen, she's looking to her brother, who was her guardian at the time. Her older brother was her guardian, and he gave her reassurance. And they made their way down the aisle. It's very beautiful wedding, very fairy tale esque wedding. And um, Lady Danbury looks, and she realizes that yes, the woman that she thought might have been Queen Charlotte was indeed the queen. So that was a nice little touch. And they make their way down the aisle. I mean, she makes her way down the aisle. King George is already um, by the priest. And they're looking at each other. They're very, you can feel the chemistry between them. And everybody's watching and looking. And, and the bells toll. The king is married and Charlotte is now the queen. At the end of their public dance together, you feel a pause, though. And then you see his hand slip Away from hers, she smiles again as the wedding guests begin to leave, including her brother, who is now noticeably distant from her. He says to her, "I hope you have um a multitude of children or something like that." He says to her, but it's very like not my big brother. It's like he's a neighbor or something. So. It was, it was different for her, but then she understands that the deal is done. He's going back to their home in Germany, and she's in her new home in England. As the guests continue to leave, she gets to meet Lady Agatha Danbury for the first time. Lady Danbury, is, um, Lady Danbury advises the Queen that she is to be a part of her court, as Charlotte is very pleased at this and says that then we will be great friends. At that statement, Lady Danbury leans in and whispers to Queen Charlotte to be careful. Know that if you sin for me, I shall come. And that right there is universal code for black women. From one black woman to another, black women of good character, I'll say, period. Charlotte accepted that statement, no questions asked. The king lets his new queen know he has a surprise for her and she's giddy. So she gets her cloak and they ride off to their to their honeymoon together. Or so she thought, or so she thinks. The surprise is her very, very, very beautiful home that he has had redesigned for her, just for her just for her her things have been all moved in uh during the ceremony he had that you know done or whatever and she's trying really hard to make sense out of what he's saying but he's not making it clear like this is your home go in and get comfortable and she's like this is isn't this our home and he's being very evasive and very sketchy um they just got married though but so why would she be living in this big humongous beautiful new house alone while he stays somewhere else he clearly does not plan to spend honeymoon night with her he pushes her to meet her staff and go ahead and get a good night's sleep and she keeps reminding him it's our wedding night he gets real odd uh, then. He asks her if she's requiring him to perform his marital duty with her. But again, she's seventeen years old. She don't even. She's not even really sure what marital duty is outside of the fact that they should be doing it together since they just got married. So she was like looking forward to spending time with. You know, the honeymoon night with her husband, especially since discovering that he was not a troll. (laughs) He, however, was getting very visibly uncomfortable, especially in front of all the staff. Just standing around, looking and listening, waiting to see what happens. Is he going to stay the night? Is he going to leave? Now, the staff have known him way before she knew him and they knew his oddities. So they just waiting to see what's going to happen. Right. So she's literally chasing after him down the down the, the hallway to the bedroom. He's like, fine. You want me to stay? I'll stay. He's walking all fast and she's chasing after him. George, George. And still not knowing. Again, she's 17 and it's her wedding night. So she's still not knowing how this is supposed to work. She's so ch- chasing after him. She's like, I can't keep up with you. He's just so uncomfortable, like physically uncomfortable with the thought that he would have to spend the night there with her. And so he just keeps pushing for for her to just stay there alone. And she's like, George, is this how it's going to be? Me here and you somewhere else? And she wants to know why. But he says it's just easier. He wants her to just leave it alone. And she keeps pushing for clarity. And at that point he gets very angry and he yells at her and he says, I have decided. I am your king. And at this point he's yelling at her. And once he yells at her, that changes the whole vibe. He yells at her. Not only did he yell at her, and yet it happened in front of everybody else. But it was just weird how you switch on and off like that. So she replied she she took the took the hint, the very um obvious hint, and she replied, My mistake. I thought you were just George. Forgive me, your majesty and she does the little curtsy bow. Uh going even deeper with the language, retreating into her into the facade of her social graces she asks him may i withdraw your majesty your majesty and he's like charlotte because he just wants her to understand but he don't even understand himself clearly he's like just throw it off right now and he steps a little bit forward and as he steps forward she steps back because now you yelled at her And that's like like a little danger zone. I don't know. Maybe he is a beast. Maybe he was lying all this time. Maybe he's abusive, you know? So she steps back. He tells her this is for the best. She has no context for that assertion. The best? What? What are you even talking about? Finally, he just leaves. She notes Brimsley is at her side following her in her new home as well. He's referring to her as your majesty, which she really doesn't want him to do. His response is, you are the queen of Great Britain and Ireland. I cannot call you anything else. She really wants him to stop following her, but it is his duty and he will not. And she's so frustrated. The man that she just married And she has basically begged to stay with her, will not stay. This man, who keeps following her every step, will not leave for anything in the world. She's just super frustrated. So flash flash forward to Elder Charlotte again, walking the halls with older Brimsley right behind her as she goes in to speak with her children, asking if they are sober. So clearly her children are problematic. They have inherited their dad's, um, their dad's difficult behavior. And the um, queen, the queen's title has notably changed to United Kingdom. So it's no longer the queen of Great Britain and Ireland. She was introduced as the queen of the United Kingdom, UK for sure. And her children are quite unimpressed either which way it goes. They're spoiled, rotten, and lazy, and they're agitated that she has called them in for a meeting so early in the damn day. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Like, what does she want? They tell her they have business to attend to. And she replies, fornicating with your mistresses? producing more bastards for me to ignore? Clearly, royal blood matters not unless it fits into the parameters of the royal image. She says, virgins to the left of me, referring to her daughters, and whores to the right, referring to her sons. She is literally demanding that they make legitimate babies, legitimate heirs to the throne as ASAP, as soon as possible, ASAP. She says the only heir to the throne is dead, prompting tears from the son who experienced the loss. And again, she did the sorrows, sorrows, prayers, cold statement, so cold. She restates the fact that the princesses have had no babies and the princes have had a record number of illegitimate poor babies. (laughs) She's so cold. Uh, She said, we had one heir and she is gone. And the son starts crying again. And again, she says the same sorrows and prayers. The queen is so bitter and so mean. She tells them that it's time to find husbands for the women and respectable wives for the men. She demands that they make her a royal baby. She goes back. um, The scene goes back to Queen Charlotte. Young Queen Charlotte, alone on her wedding night in her grand bedroom, contemplating out loud, I should have gone over the wall. And episode one ends there. <laughs>